0: Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change podcast. I'm your host Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. All right, welcome back to the Driving Change podcast. I'm your host Jeff Bloomfield and my guest today uh, is an amazing author, entrepreneur, business coach, mentor. He created the Alter Ego Effect and wrote the book by the same name. And uh, Todd Herman is somebody that I've followed for a while now. And I will tell you that this guy is all about results. He's all about
1: performance.
0: And he's all about seeing people come out of where they are to where they're supposed to be mm-hmm. and make the and bridge the gap between that. So Todd, welcome. And thanks for being on the show.
1: Wow. Happy to finally be here after a couple of false starts.
0: <laughs> That's all right. It's probably well worth the wait. Uh, so first off, you know, you and I were talking in the pre-show that we've got a lot in common. We have both come off of farms, mm-hmm. different places. We're both old farm boys. We learned a lot of life lessons. And uh, all, I always asked our guests to start off by giving us a little bit of your why.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I people have asked me about going back to like the what you said before about the alter ego and, you know, um, how do you create this super, super performance identity for yourself? And, um, and you know, what's, what's helped you move through the different successes that you've had in life. And I'm one of these lucky people that was very fortunate to have phenomenal parents. I come from a great family. Um, and so when I think about where I got to grow up and watching my dad, who's got extraordinarily high level of character and integrity and every single deal was done. It's such a cliche, but you know, in our world, the deals are done in a handshake. Everyone in our neighborhood or not not neighborhood, but our farming area all watched what my dad did um, and my parents did all the time. And when I think about my why, it's actually my last name. Um, I think my parents have done such a phenomenal job of creating a deep meaning that's powerful in our area around what it means to be a Herman. And now that I'm someone who's lived and traveled all around the world, that entire time I was always thinking to myself, you know, my my responsibility is to um, cause someone to go. Oh, I'm I'm I'm. I would want them to be happy that they met a Herman that you know made them just a little bit better, made them feel better. Um, And that's a pretty simple explanation as to you know my why is to try to make the Herman name just a little bit better in my short little time that I've got on this floating rock in the middle of the universe.
0: Yeah, like my papa used to say is he used to say he always you know, son, leave something better than you found it. And in mm-hmm. your world it's leave somebody better than you found them, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm fina- I'm just fascinated with like the human the human experience and performance and you know, having the chance to work with so many pro athletes and olympic athletes, so many just phenomenal leaders in business and public figures and entertainment. And, you know, while everyone is the, is, is, you know, different and nuanced, there's a lot of principles that underneath sit underneath all of them that are very much the same. And yeah, just the human experience is a fascinating subject to me.
0: Well, and I think for the audience's background is, you know, Todd's had the privilege of coaching performance, coaching, some elite athletes. Mm-hmm. And um, if you, if I want you to guys to go out and get the book, the alter ego, um, at some point, the alter ego effect book, but you know, you've got story after story after story of high performance athletes that you would think, you know, by all accounts, well, they figured it out. They've been, mm-hmm. they've, they've, they've risen up. They're just naturally so gifted, they're superhuman. They've yeah. not needed any help getting there. T- tell me a little bit about the myth of that.
1: Well, I mean, what,
0: what have you found the thread?
1: Yeah, so the, thread? the one of the one of the greatest insults you can give to an athlete. <laughs> that they, they won't say it to you to your face necessarily. Some might, um, is to, uh, dismiss away their success with the word talent. Talent is like, it's, it's the ultimate, um, offensive swear word that you could say to an athlete because it discounts all of the extraordinary hard work that they put in, yeah. um, to hone whatever, because talent in its root form actually means in, you know, from the Latin and Greek means, um, Your genetics, your so like your eye color is actually talent. Your height is a talent. Um, Your bone structure or your your sort of muscle density is a talent that you have. Uh, Now it's what do you do with this stuff? Your IQ is a talent. Um, You actually can't adjust someone's IQ more than about ten to twelve points. Um, So now what? But what do you? most people are under indexing massively with how they're using these talents and how do we channel them. So, um, that's one of the, that's one of the great myths is, uh, you know, dismissing away and people like to do it because it makes them feel good somehow about why they might be under indexing in life. And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm, I don't show up on podcasts and interviews to try to, you know, have people walk away with going oh he's really he's a really nice guy because I'm way too in your face. I want to set it up from the very beginning of our relationship whether it's just a short little time that you spend with me on a podcast to a media interview to or whatever that at the end of the day I care about what you do on the field of play. A lot of people talk about human beings. I am I am not someone who falls into that category. I am a big believer in human doings. And I mean you shared with me the short story and I'm sure people who are familiar with you know your story about your your papa um, about, he was a human doing. Right, He cared about what he did. A lot of people care too much about what they're thinking about. That's a human being. I am not caught up in that world. I care about results. I care about what you do. I hold myself accountable to that. Thinking about telling my wife that I love her and actually telling her that I love her are two very, very different worlds. Right? One might make you feel good. The other one makes another person feel good and creates a different possibility, creates a brand new world. And so I care about People who do stuff, not people who talk about doing stuff.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And there's, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, fortunately and unfortunately, right? Unfortunately, because people limit themselves to what they're capable of. But fortunately, because then folks like you are out there helping them get to where they need to be. So tell us a little bit of background on how you came up with the alter ego concept. Sure. Because you just didn't walk off the farm in Canada and say, hey, I've got this great idea.
1: Not even close. Um, I don't know if I walked off the farm with any good ideas uh, for myself. (laughs) So I am, well, A, I never invented the concept of the alter ego. Um, The success of the book and the success of the, the, the system that I put in place to untap its power was born out of, well, A, it started with Cicero the Roman statesman and philosopher was the first one to ever coin the term alter ego. And in its root form, it means the other I or trusted friend within. And he wrote it in a letter to a friend in 44 BC um, when he was sort of unpacking the, the successes of his life. And I mean, this is someone who is well known as being, you know, if not the greatest Roman statesman and philosophers of all time, he's one of the greatest. So here's one, a prolific person, someone who stood the test of time. Stating the importance of developing that. And we all, anyone that's listening, understands the need for having an amazing group of friends or peers or mentors or coaches around. We all know that your network is an extraordinarily valuable part of what it is going to allow you to be successful. If you've got a horrible toxic group around you, you're probably going to be toxic because of that. But if you've got an incredible group of people that are empowering and cheerleading and challenging and hold you accountable to things, you're probably going to rise up. Everyone understands that, but most people don't understand the power of bringing that between the six inches of your own ears because this is truly the battleground of life is this stuff up here. The quality of the thinking that goes in here, which then informs the Um, emotional state that you go into, which is then going to propel the action in either a positive way that has less friction involved with it or propels an action forward with a lot of friction, a lot of angst, a lot of stress and anxiety, which only tightens you up. And again, I'm talking from a sports point of view, a performer's point of view. Like if you're standing in front of people and you're delivering a speech or a presentation or a sales presentation, and you're someone who is highly anxious because of the fact that the boss or the CEO of the company that you're trying to sell to just walked into the room, that's you losing your performance, based on context, it shouldn't matter who's in the room with you. You should be delivering the exact same performance consistently every single time. Um, and, and so, you know, the alter ego, um, I used it when I played high school football and I built up this super performance identity for myself because I was, while I was six foot tall, I'm not a physically gifted person, but I was a highly recruited, um, college or a high school athlete coming out of Canada. I was super fast, but I played way bigger than my body would show. I was 106 pounds soaking wet, but I was, you know, an all-star in my province. And, um, and then I was a nationally ranked badminton player as well. And so I excelled on that field. And, you know, so it was obviously, you know, hard work that I put in, but it was really my mindset. And so when I started, when I, when I left college f- playing football, And then I started getting into coaching. Um, I was working with these young athletes more on the mental game. This wasn't a business or anything like that. It was just I was way more interested in helping them develop that skill set because that was typically the stuff that was stopping them on the field was the six. Inches between their ears. They worked hard already. They didn't need to work any harder. They just had really bad routines, habits. They didn't set good goals for themselves. They didn't have good concentration abilities, which I helped them with and they didn't know how to manage their anxiety and stress over stuff. And um, and it this evolved into a business very accidentally. And then because as I learned from my parents growing up, you know, just, just never be average at something. Always excel to be your absolute best. At it, And then when you, when you do want to pursue something, go and find whoever's the best at it and tuck yourself under their wing. And so I found a, the, the best mentor in the, in the mental game world, Harvey Dorfman, literally wrote the Bible of the industry called Coaching the Mental Game, tucked myself under his wing, and he started funneling pro athletes my way. And so very quickly, I sort of rose through the ranks at a young age and started to work with the best. And one of the things that I did as a business, I never focused, Harvey focused in the baseball world. He's known as the Yoda of baseball. Every single major league baseball player from the eighties and nineties would point to Harvey as their, you know, mental game guru. Um, and, but I operated in 78 different sports, biathlon, table tennis, tennis, golf, pro football, national hockey league, NBA. Like, and so the great thing was, is I'm, I'm operating at the very elite level. And this golden thread started weaving itself that was holding the best of the best above everyone else. And they would say things like, I've got this persona that I step into when I go on the court, I've got this alter ego, I've got this identity and I could have, someone could have only discovered it by working with so many different sports because that was the thing. If I just stayed in baseball, it would have, I would have never found it as the thing and one of the things. And so that's really how it evolved was out of that. And then I started once I kind of started to see this, um, golden thread, I was like, wait a second, this is a real thing here. And I, and I added this toolkit of using an alter ego into um, my, my process of working with people because I found that the moment I helped someone change their identity, because that's what the alter ego does is human beings will always act through whatever they associate themselves with. And most people are associating themselves with a personal story and narrative that can be self-limiting in some way. Well, because this thing happened to me, um, you know, and then finish whatever this, you know, the statement is, or because I am insert height, I can only do this or because I don't have as much, you know, college degree, how many, I don't because I don't have as many college degrees as that guy, then I can't be the executive or whatever. And, but, when you detach yourself from your own story and now you associate yourself with the alter ego, which is the source code, the inspiration for how you want to show up, it changes behavior, it changes habit, it changes your beliefs, it changes your attitudes about what you think you can and cannot do. It actually can change your competency and skill level. And I'll share a story with you on that. It's fascinating stuff. So everyone here is going to be familiar with probably Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson. Um, and Rowan Atkinson growing up had an extreme stuttering problem. Uh, and when he went away to college, he was, um, I believe it was mechanical engineering that he went f- to college for. And while he was in college, he discovered his love for the arts and uh, the drama programs. Uh, and cause he loved playing different characters. And what he discovered was anytime he started to play another character, his stuttering went away. So that's hard for a lot of people to believe. So how can something that is, you know, um, a physical function of how you operate, now all of a sudden you don't have it when you're playing a new character. Well, it has to do with just the mysteries of the brain. Anyone who tries to come on and say that they know everything that the brain does, we don't. And I've been in this world for 22 years. And, you know, the, the great thing about it is it humbles you over and over and over again. Um, just to try and map it all. Now we have a lot of it mapped, but so anyway, when he got done playing, uh, when he got done college, he started to go for um, auditions. And now, of course, you walk in the room, he's walking in as Rowan to introduce himself, but he's, his first impression is someone who's stuttering now with them. And then he plays a character or a new role, and all of a sudden, you know, the real role that he's uh, playing isn't stuttering but he has still created the first impression of you know that isn't going to be a positive one so what he did was he would he would show up at his auditions in character as someone else to then go and play a new character and it just helped him to to get those roles and it was actually the thing that created mr bean here he was he was able to create a character that took away the spoken word and that's actually the great innovation that he found. Yeah. and I call it I call it your capability, and the way that you know we have it registered trademark of capability C A P E dash ability. What's your cape ability? And I think yours, because of your experience with your ama papa, um, your capability that you learned from an early age was the power of using story mapped to. Again, that's something involved over time, your fascination with the brain and neuroscience. My capability that I have is extraordinarily high levels of um, curiosity and compassion born out of just some traumas that happened to me at a young age. So Rowan used his something that was perceived by others as a negative, his uh, stuttering, and turned it into you know a beloved character that has lasted the test test of time sort of thing
0: yes and it 's a very very funny character for, for sure, yeah now you get into this a little bit in your book, but I 'd love for you to comment on because this idea of alter ego, you know some people might have first initially taken and say well i 'm not actually being authentic if i 'm trying to pretend to be somebody that i 'm not, but the reality is is what i what i 've taken away from from your material yeah. and your concept for me personally is, is it 's actually i 'm actually becoming more of who I was meant to be yeah i 'm actually operating in more of my true identity when I operate in my alter ego, then otherwise, is that, is that true?
1: It's a hundred percent. And that's been the, that's been the reality of every single person that's used it is um, a, there's a lot of paradigms that people have operated through that are just not true. and, And they break underneath the weight of practical application of life. So let's, let's play this out. So if someone's concerned right now that playing with an alter ego is not them being authentic, what's authentic about you anyway? There's no one you, because there isn't, because we play roles in life. Um, You know, am I being inauthentic to everyone here because I'm not acting the same way that I would if I was around my kids, right? Because the the, the role I have as a dad is a very different set of skills and attributes that I bring to be a winner in that role. And that's how people that, you know, in, in the performance world, that's how we think. How can I show up? to be a winner on that field of play over there in the role that I have? How can I, like, what what do I need to bring to that role in order to be a winner in it? And then context, how do I be a winner over in this role as a husband to my wife or to a father to my children? And so there's no one authentic you. There isn't. It's, you can't put it under a microscope and find it. But, you know, Beyonce, she used Sasha Fierce to develop into the performer that she wanted to. Kobe Bryant used the Black Mamba to develop into the most feared competitor on the basketball court for 15 years um, where he dominated there. So this idea of authenticity needs to be kind of unshackled from people's heads. I think the real thing that, or not real thing, I know one of the things that people get challenged by because I've heard it from A couple people, is their first reaction to it was like, jeez, I don't even know who I am. Now i got to build out an alter ego for myself? (laughs) And that's actually the point of it, is the use of this device allows you to reveal to yourself what you're truly about and what your real capabilities are to your point that you made earlier. That's the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, I love that concept. And I think it's it's so applicable to every human being. And so here's the question I have is I love I also love your concept of fields of play, not just field of play, but fields of play, because yeah, every every channel we operate in, every sphere we operate in, like right now I'm in my Business owner, CEO, Brain Trust, mm-hmm. Jeff Bloomfield, speaker, author, coach, yeah. field of play, talking to you, who's a similar field of play. Yeah. But then I'm going to leave and, and I'm going to go talk to my wife and I'm going to have to be on my husband field of play. Yeah. And then I got to go talk to my three kids and I got to be on my father field of play. Yeah. Do you have do you pull the thread of a similar alter ego through all the fields of play just by changing the context? Or do you have a different alter
1: ego for each field of play? No, you, 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 this is how this is the mastery of the self. This is how you master yourself. Um, and you know again, like I had said bef- at the beginning, um, I will never apologize for just you know this is the way that elite people think, okay? So if you want to stay in the world of average, then you know, try to use an alter ego that maps to all of them. It just doesn't work, right? And so um you have a specific identity for each of the different roles that you have, and that's not being complicated. That's actually simplifying life in many ways. So, you know, normally in, in, um, my, my business world, and I talk about the importance in the world of developing, uh, a performance identity of totems and artifacts and uniforms. And so when I'm, a, when I'm in business, normally I have like a pair of, uh, eyeglasses that I, that I always use. And that's me creating a switch and context and, um, all sorts of things. I talk about it in the book and the power of it. And this isn't me like making stuff up. This is actually rooted in science. It, what you're actually tapping into is a concept called enclothed cognition, um, which is that human beings add story and meaning to the things that other people wear and that we wear. And that if you were to put on that article of clothing, you would actually naturally adopt the traits unconsciously of the thing that you just put on. So, We all know that, or we all have this, you know, if someone walks into a room and they're wearing a doctor's coat, right? The doctor, they're wearing a doctor's coat. Immediately, unconsciously, you start attributing a whole bunch of traits to that person. Oh, they're hardworking. They're smart. They're detailed. They're whatever it is for you. Well, here's the crazy thing. If you were to actually put on the lab coat or the doctor's coat yourself, you would start to act more methodical detailed, feel smarter, you would actually, it would actually change your behavior and your results because of it. Kellogg School of Management did a good study about it. Many other places have done studies around this. So if that's true, I hear these things and I'm like, okay, great. How can I go and apply that though to help my people right. perform better? So for me, wearing the glasses, which I started doing 20 plus years ago, was my way of stepping into a specific performance identity and bringing certain traits with me to help me win on that field. I don't wear my glasses around my kids though. I have a little um, uh, bracelet that my daughter Molly wear from, wears, or uh, made for me that I keep on the, uh, the hook inside of our apartment in New York City. And when I walk through the door, I put it on and I snap it and that's me to go into dad mode. Hmm. And dad mode has a um, alter ego associated with it. Actually, it's a composite of my own father and Mr. Rogers. Because all day long, I'm flexing the muscle of being a challenger personality type. I hear from people all the time. They go, Todd, it's so hard for me to switch it off after I get home. I'm like, well, then we need to find a new switch for you. Okay, that's because you think you associate most strongly with the identity of being a professional CEO, whatever the case is. And it's very easy for you to do that because you're flexing the muscle all day long of being that, you know. You do this, being the leader and, you know, ordering people around and coming up with the big ideas and sharing the vision or whatever the case is, and then you get home and you do the exact same thing with your family. You're bringing the CEO into the home. That's not – that that identity is not custom-built to win in that domain. It's so good. You need to have a new one. You need to have a new one. Um, and so that's where the alter ego helps people make it happen that much more quickly.
0: And what I, and what I love about this, Todd, is, is not only is it so – rooted in in science and psychology, but it's so applicable. It just it just takes you being intentional, an individual being intentional to recognize, because I can tell you just from a vulnerability standpoint, yeah. you know, uh, my identity for most of my life was rooted in, you know, some some hidden trauma from my childhood of never pleasing my own earthly father. Yeah. And so therefore I was an overachiever at everything. And I put everybody in my life under that umbrella of not only did I want to control them, yeah. but I needed them to look to me and, and affirm me as being awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I, I managed everyone in my life through that lens of trauma. And what this has done is releasing not only people like me, but it releases you to say, wait a minute, we're going to get into this in a second, yeah. the barriers and the hidden, the hidden fears. But having the intentional mindset to know that I need to treat my wife with this persona, with this ego, alter ego, and it's very different yeah. than the one I, I operate the company with, which is very different, even still from the one I operate as a father. That is huge, but it's like mind blowing for people to think that they can make that switch.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and what this honors too, Jeff, is it honors the, it honors the very thing that makes us unique on this planet. Our creative imagination is truly our superpower. I talk about it in the book, Mm. you know, like when you're developing this, this alter ego. And again, the alter ego comes from a place of how you want to show up. Right. Not not because you're trying to impress a, the moment you're doing something from an outside in approach is what I call it in chapter three of the book. When I talk about the ordinary world and the extraordinary world and in the ordinary world, most people's um, propulsions for why they're doing something is from the outside in. They're doing it to try to impress someone else or to fit in. Or, and when you do that, the pressure ends up creating what I call the trapped self. Because that's the word that most people will say. Even athletes when they get frustrated that they didn't take the shot or make the pass or whatever the case was whatever the context, whatever the moment of impact was on that in that game, when they didn't do what they know that they have the capability to do, but they didn't do it. you feel trapped. that's what the feeling is is you feel trapped because the real you or your own capabilities did not get out on that a uh, court field presentation speech in the meeting room. You didn't say the thing that you really wanted to say to bring up the idea because you were concerned of, you know, looking bad to other people or making a fool of yourself or being judged by others, whatever the case is that creates the trapped self. So the, the one of the, that's why I call it the alter ego effect, the purpose of the alter ego or the, the, the domino that the alter ego creates is the effect of it is you get to see what you're truly capable of. That's the effect part. That's why it's not called the alter ego method. There is a method to it inside, but the, the purpose of the book is to show people what's the effect of alter egos and running through with people, the stories of Martin Luther King and Winston Churchill and how they employed parts of this concept to help them develop themselves. Um, and, and so just giving people this important uh, principle that the intentionality of it is that you're doing it from a place of how I want to show up. And so how, I, how, do, I, how do I actually want to show up with my wife? Well, it's not as being the CEO because that's not going to help me in that role. Right. It's just not. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> well, and, and I, when I read your book, Todd, the first time
0: it's it triggered with me, you know, and I, and I'm a performance coach in the yeah. business realm and I know a lot of the science stuff, but what it revealed to me was I've done a lot of keynote speaking, especially over the last five years. And I've been on small stages and really, really large stages. And what I recognized was I had this process I go through backstage before I step on any stage. Yeah. And, and I was stepping into that alter ego without even recognizing it. it's this combination of Zig Ziglar meets Tony Robbins. And sure. It's this edutainer yeah. that I had that this cape for. And when I went on that platform, I was never afraid of anything. I, I loved it and it, it brought electricity to me and, and I felt so yeah. fulfilled with it, but I didn't realize that's what I was doing until I read your book. And, and now I just realized that, you know, over time of reading it and rereading it, that I've got some other areas of my life that I need to identify the right alter ego for. Yeah. You know to step into those
1: roles the word that I would use in the in to 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 summarize when you said you you felt so energized and electric is the thing that people experience is you feel alive, yeah, and the reason that you feel alive is because those dormant parts of you that you haven't been maybe honoring or that you haven't given the opportunity to be birthed out into the field of play of action um are finally being activated, and that's where you feel like that's where you feel alive. And what we're what we're really battling against here is the ego. You know, it's the ego of well, I got to show up this way, and I'm a, I'm a, if you start to only define yourself with one identity, you know, I'm the CEO, then you're someone who's easily trapping yourself. And then the danger of it is, if things aren't going well for you in business, you think that you're failing in life. Hmm. That's good. At the very start of chapter number three, I talk about Ian, who is um, a, a who is a collegiate champion tennis player. And when I was talking to him about this, and he was like, "Oh man, if I could have gotten this idea in my head when I was competing, because he had all the attributes and traits of being on the uh, USTA tour and competing in you know the U.S. Open or all those other tournaments, but he's like, when I was failing on the court, I felt like I was failing as a human being." And that's because he had one identity, Ian, the tennis player. Wow. And, uh, and so the same thing goes for other, you know, you and I, we both work with highly ambitious people who expect a lot of themselves, but a lot of them only see themselves or only um, define their success in life underneath one field of play. And uh, that's very dangerous because it, a, it creates high um, high probability of mental health disorders, whether it's depression or high like anxiety and stress disorders, and so a CEO who goes you know if they define themselves truly by the success that happens in, that's happening in their business and especially in today's day and age, underneath the world of you know going through the pandemic that we are, businesses are being fundamentally disrupted at their core, and i'm um, I'm doing this huge study right now on how CEOs are responding and reacting in this moment. And um, it's been fascinating to see just where the trappings are. Um, but our, the point is, is the more ways that you see yourself in different contexts, the easier it is for you to have a very, very healthy mental state.
0: That's great. And I know we, we have a limited amount of time left. I want to get into one other yeah. subject I want to ask you about. These, these ideas of the barriers and the hidden forces that prevent people from actually identifying and walking into this, mm-hmm. this alter ego effect. One of them being, and I hear this a lot, I probably experienced it in my own life, maybe still do sometimes, that from a lot of our executives that we work with is that 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 imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah.
0: Could you talk about that hidden force for a second yeah. and what that's meant to some of the folks you've coached?
1: So, you know. Anytime you're rattling around between the six inches of people's ears and trying to help them perform, you you always stumble across these um, sore spots. Now I'm not a therapist; I don't do therapy with people. I'm a performance guy, which means that we're constantly moving towards either developing oneself or some sort of new milestone or result, and 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 and, and achieving something. And this isn't about trying to create a toxic level of achievement, but um, there's there's always little pain points that you find. Sometimes it's like some sort of trauma that's happened and, you you know, it's just proven. You get that, you get a different association with someone's trauma and man, it's like taking the governor off of someone. Another one though, is the imposter syndrome, which in some ways, Imposter syndrome has become a very popular term in the last five years in the world of like personal development, self help, and leadership. And people have layered on a whole bunch more meaning around what imposter syndrome means instead of keeping it in its tight frame. Because imposter syndrome doesn't mean like that you have avoidant behavior. Avoidant behavior can actually be a byproduct of being, you know, depressed. Um, imposter syndrome is one, excusing away your successes and your wins in life to luck happenstance so you go well of course i of course i achieved that that's not really magic i mean it was i was i was at the event and it was right place right time kind of thing so what you do is you diminish your wins and you will typically then escalate your losses and the human brain is is natural it 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 can do this because it's it's built to pattern recognize And, you know, oh my God, the the bushes over there are rustling. That must be a saber-toothed tiger. So it's like, it's there to protect us from a fight-flight-fear, you know, reptilian brain standpoint. So to combat that, the best CEOs or the best performers do a very good job of, as a ritual, capturing their wins methodically. You need to capture your wins. You need to write them down. And that needs to be the first act or practice um, that you uh, involve yourself in when you're doing any sort of reflection. And you can even translate this into teams. If you're having a a leadership meeting, the first item on the agenda has to be what were the wins? Because we will typically jump into issues or challenges. You've got to capture the wins. It'll start to rewire someone's brain. Um, so that's one thing. Imposter syndrome is someone who discounts their wins. The second thing that imposter syndrome, um, is, and these are, there's really only two things. The second one is, um, worrying about that's, they're going to finally find me out. They're going to finally discover that I'm not all that in a bag of chips, that, um, I'm not as smart as they think that I am. Or that you know my writing isn't as good as it is, or I'm not as good of a speaker, or I'm not as good of a leader as everyone thinks they are, and they're going to finally find me out. Uh, and that is rooted in our deep fear of being kicked out of the tribe. Because anthropologically, when we were very tribal and we roamed the plains or we were in the mountains or whatever the case was, if you got kicked out of the tribe, you would die on your own. Right. And people, And our brain hasn't evolved out of that even though nowadays we have many more options and, um, all that. And so the imposter syndrome then shows up in possibly someone then, uh, not shipping something out like a book proposal or the new speech, um, and so on. So I would just, um, again, we, when we associate so much with that refocus my camera, uh, when we focus so much with, That one identity, it ends up trapping us into so much of the concerns and worries of how we're being perceived. And that's where the alter ego can really help people avoid some of the trappings of imposter syndrome because you're now not only bringing a trusted friend within to help you navigate things, um, but you're also associating with a far more powerful identity that doesn't care. Like Kobe Bryant as an example. Uh, you know, he developed his alter ego, the Black Mamba, not when he came into the NBA, not when he was in high school and prolific a scorer. He developed the Black Mamba because he was going through a crisis of identity. He was going through that sexual assault trial in Colorado. And in his words, he felt like he was losing his edge. And when I spoke with him, it was because when I, just to kind of change up the vernacular, I was like, well, did you, it was, were you losing your identity? And he's like, that is exactly it. He used the word edge because it's a very sport-focused word, but I knew that what he was talking about was his identity. Um, And so he was watching Kill Bill, the movie, and he saw the scene with the Black Mamba come on, and he thought, that's who's going to come out onto the court now. Because, again, he associated so much with being a basketball player, that one identity, Um, and that's where he needed to find his refuge. So that's where the Black Mamba lived, was out there. And and even him talking about it, It lived in a cage in his mind and he would go into that. He would approach the cage right before the game and he would unlock the cage, but he would stop for a moment. And that's now creating ritual in the brain. Just like I do before I go into our home in New York, I stop at the door and I have a little ritual remembering who's on the other side. I just gave eight to 10 to 12 hours of my best energy to clients, to interviews and all that kind of stuff. And now shouldn't I be bringing that best energy to the people that I care about the most? And then so rooting myself in that and then remembering who's on the other side, what traits, what abilities, what skills do I want to be bringing into that onto that field? That's going to help um, me win with my kids, which is developing their, you know, developing their, confidence, developing their ability to see themselves as someone who can do anything, Um, and being far more patient and playful and fun with my kids because they're all very, very young. And that's who would probably be best built to win for them. So I do that. And then I at least then I unleash the cage of someone who's very different. And that's Mr. Rogers and my dad. So
0: that's awesome. Well I know we're we're out of time here and this has been an amazing episode. And I think what I want the audience to take away from is this: is you know you're not trapped in your identity. In fact, most of you haven't even begun to explore the power. That's right. In your true self, and using the alter ego effect is something that can really change the game. This is a this is it. Really, is a game. I like you field of play. You like to use yeah. the concepts a lot, but this is a game changing concept for people. Uh, and, and for those listening, don't dismiss it as something that's just some kind of
1: voodoo.
0: No. Um, Todd has helped world class elite athletes use this effect to actually change their mindset so that they can perform on all their fields of play not just their professional talent field of play totally yeah so uh, go to Todd go to Todd's website I believe it's Todd correct that's
1: right Todd Herman.me um, and then um, if you want more information and some videos that we have around the alter ego is alter ego but Todd you'll have the same links to get to stuff and that's my home base on the internet and you can find me on the social channels as well um, LinkedIn and Instagram and you know Facebook and um, all of this stuff but we got links on Todd for people to find out more
0: Fantastic. And so just so you guys all know out there, I've learned a lot from Todd and I haven't even had to pay him yet. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first. You're not the first.
0: You can learn a lot from just reading his book, but if you're so inclined out there um, and you, you want to hire Todd to be a high-performance coach, he's got lots of ways of engaging. Go to his website and, and do that as well. So Todd, thank you so much for being on today.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad that we finally made the chance to, uh, or had the chance to make this happen. So you're a champ. Thank you. All right, be well. Thank you.